You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. I am excited to be starting a brand new teaching series this morning called Barriers. We're going to be in the book of Acts, uh, picking up in chapter 5. And over the next seven weeks, uh, we'll be working uh, chapter by chapter through, through the book of Acts, highlighting to you um, the barriers that were holding back the early church. Up to this point, the church has really been flourishing and thriving. It's been characterized by an incredible generosity of sharing and giving to each other. And this morning, we're going to see the first incredibly uh, tragic situation where there's some fraudulent behavior in some of the church life, and there's this barrier of greed, and we're going to see God work through that. God, God act supernaturally to intervene into the life of the church. A barrier, as I'm going to call it uh, through this series, is anything that holds us back from growing and experiencing, I'm going to call it the courageous, joy-filled, spirit-led life that God offers us through a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My encouragement to you is we're looking at the book of Acts, we're going to study a historical work of the life of the early church written by the historian Luke, and he's going to record and tell us and show us kind of the, the history of the church and the things that, uh, that held it back and the things that, uh, where God uh, supernaturally flourished it. The question I think that we're going to be asking uh, this morning and throughout all of the series is this, is what kind of barriers are you facing right now? Some of you have got uh, relational barriers. There's people in your life and it's just hard and you can't seem somehow navigate through that. Some of you have financial barriers or you've got a number of different things that you're feeling like are holding you back. Maybe a boss that doesn't quite understand your gifts and your talents and you feel like you're, there's a glass ceiling or some kind of barrier or blockade that's holding you back. The question comes is how do we break through these barriers? And over the next seven weeks, I want to present to you seven barriers in the life of the early church. The first week we're going to look at this morning is the barrier of greed in the early church. Next week we'll look at the leadership lid, where there's a barrier of leadership. And we're going to see they begin to reorganize how the leaders work in order to continue to flourish and grow and thrive. There's the barrier of fear. We'll look at that in the third part of this series. The, the barrier of differences, of cross-cultural interaction and ministry to other people as the gospel moves forward out of the church, it's not to stay in Jerusalem, it's to permeate the entire Roman Empire. And there's this cross-cultural interaction of learning new languages and moving forward and getting these early church leaders out of their comfort zone. We'll look at the barrier of difficulties and persecution when they're terrified of speaking and sharing about the name of Christ, and they're called up to live courageously, there's that barrier right there that they could be hindered or, or stay back and stay tame and be afraid. There's the barrier of racism that we'll look at. Uh, the, the, the early church uh, uh, struggled with relate, uh, 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 racial tensions, where there's a, a racial barrier that God's going to call the church to overcome to break through. 
And lastly, we'll look at uh, the barrier of government and how the government at a time period in the early church really was preventing and holding back the church and they were to live courageously in despite of a government that was stifling the life of the church. My encouragement to you is to realize that as we look at this and we study in the book of Acts over the next seven weeks, is that when you see how God calls these people to break through these barriers, these will be applied into every area of your life. No matter what your barrier may be, you'll see a common theme and common thread through it all that will help encourage you and challenge you to live more courageously, to have more joy, and to live a life that's more spirit-led as we study in the book of Acts. I've got a basic question for you. Do you want to be a barrier or do you want to be a blessing? From the very beginning, when God called his people, he says, I'll bless you so that you might be a blessing. God's people are always called to be a blessing. You know, um, as I look back on the life uh, and ministry of my early days, uh, 15 years ago, I asked my wife to marry me. At the time, I was in uh, University of Arkansas at Little Rock. I was in college. I had just become, uh, I was a pretty new Christian in my faith, and the church asked me to be a part of a youth ministry to reach the at-risk teens in Little Rock, Arkansas. And at that time, they didn't have a, a, a big budget to be able to provide for that kind of position. It was a very large church, ch- a church of 5,000 or so. But they didn't have the funds to fulfill that role. I was pioneering a new ministry that hadn't been done before, but they knew that I was the person that they believed that could do it. And it terrified me and it scared me all at the same time. Here I am as a very young believer. I'm not getting paid a whole lot. I'm growing in my maturity, but I'm still very immature. I have a lot of growing to do. And one of the biggest areas of my life at that point in time was around finances. I didn't really want, I trusted God in my relationship with Leslie. I wanted to do it according to God's way. I trusted God when it came to reconciliation and I wanted to do it his way and forgave people and sought to reconcile. But when it came to money, I was a little bit bitter. I was a little bit bitter and frustrated because I felt like at the time that the church didn't compensate me for the hours that I was putting in. I was going to school. I was in my last uh, semester at business school, University of Arkansas at Little Rock. I was studying business and taking courses like quantitative methods, business calculus, uh, all these crazy courses that were wearing me out. And along the process, I've sensed as God was calling me to lead in ministry, was to host a citywide uh, evangelistic event for the youth that would unite churches all around the city and potentially the state. And I shared that vision with my wife, and she said, how are you going to do that? I said, I don't know. I'm going to call the the largest evangelistic associations. One thing led to another, and I get on the phone with a a gentleman by the name of Kevin Palau. He was the president of Luis Palau Evangelistic Association. Uh, Recently, in the last five years or so, uh, Phoenix had a city fest. Thousands and thousands of people. And so I call Kevin, and I get on the phone with him, and I begin to share my burden to reach the city for Christ, for the youth. And I was ending up, I was ending my, my college semester, preparing to go to Dallas Theological Seminary, and I had this impression upon my heart that God wanted me to do one last event 
that would send a shockwave through the community about the name and fame of Jesus among the youth culture. And so I called Kevin and I invited him down and I said, Kevin, I believe that God wants to do a great work in this city among the youth and they've positioned me at this church to unite other youth pastors and I believe this event could lead to a larger event called the City Fest that you guys are doing all around the world. And Kevin said, all right, Ryan, well, normally I don't fly down because I'm the president of the organization and meet with a young guy like you who's got no experience and, and is dreaming about a future deal, but I'll come down. So he comes down and we meet, we talk, I network him with the bankers, I network him with the church leaders, I network him with business leaders, and then he leaves. And then he gives me a very short amount of time and says, the project's going to cost $30,000, and I thought, well, okay, well, I donate a lot of my time and energy already, and we don't have a lot of finances. At the, that time, my mortgage payment was $400. It was pretty low. And, and, and we were living on a salary of less than $20,000 as a couple. That's not a lot of money. And I'm pouring my heart out in college, and I'm pouring my heart out into ministry to get everything done and just try to be a faithful husband who pays the bills. But I could barely make it. And then Kevin asked me, checks in and says, how's the project going? I know you got to raise $30,000 to do this large outreach. And I said, you know, it's not going very well. And he said, man, you're, how far are you into it? I said, about halfway into the process. He says, how much have you raised? And at the time it was like maybe a thousand bucks or 2000 bucks. And he asked this question. He said, Ryan, I don't want to be, get personal with you, but I do have to ask this question. Are you all in? And I said, of course I am. And he said, I'm not going to ask any numbers, but let me ask another question. Are you giving financially to this project? Do you believe in it that much? And I said, no, I'm not. I went back to my wife and I said to her, man, I'm so sorry. I'm convicted. I haven't been mature in my dealings with finances. And she said, yeah, I know. I've been trying to tell you, you ought to give, you ought to serve, you ought to tithe. We ought to do that. And that was the one area of my life I was like scared to death of because I didn't see how we could make it. And we got an income uh, uh, tax return, and it was uh, about $3,000. And I remember we tithed it, and we gave $300 into that uh, outreach for the youth. And the very next day, I'm in a meeting with business leaders that could fund the whole project. And after I present the city vision of reaching the, the youth for Christ, one of the business guys raises his hand. He goes, I got one question for you, young man. He said, are you all in. And I said, yes, I am. Just yesterday, we received this and we gave this much. And then he stood up and they, these, some of these men, when I told the story, they bowed their heads in prayer. And they, there was a sense of the God's spirit on that place of humility and joy to give. And everybody committed to, together in that time period to fulfill the $30,000 pledge. And it was done. And that was the first step in my courageous commitment to say, I want to learn how to trust God in this process. The coolest part of the story is, is after we finish that, there, we do the youth event. There's oh, about 5,000 young people a part of this event. 500 young men and women receive Jesus Christ as Lord in that event. I go on, I move down to Dallas Seminary, um, and the beginnings of that network continued to thrive and prosper of the youth leaders, the youth pastors, the businessmen, and they held it together. And then I come back three and a half years later, after I finished Dallas Theological Seminary, come back to Little Rock, and I'm standing on the banks of the Arkansas River, and they have organized City Fest. 
Well, now there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men and women hearing about Jesus, and the gospel was proclaimed, and tons of people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord, and I'm sitting on this bank in the Arkansas River with my wife, just got back from Dallas, and I nudged her, and I was weeping, and I said to Leslie, I said, was that not the best money we ever spent? Was that not the greatest gift we ever gave? Was that $300 to see the exponential impact? Just last week, I was on the phone with Kevin Palau, the president of the organization. And I said, do you remember when you asked me that? He said, I don't even remember asking you that. I said, you did. You asked me that. And it convicted me to the core. You see, what was going on was I was the barrier to God's blessing. And I was seriously, I was discontent. I was frustrated. I was angry. I had no understanding of how God would provide. And God provided for our family supernaturally extraordinary ways, year after year after year after year, seeing him as we trust the Lord with that. This morning, as we talk about this barrier of greed, I want to encourage you to adopt a mindset and a commitment and say, I'm going to be a blessing and not a barrier in any area of my life. I want to be a blessing to the people at my work. I want to be a blessing to the people in my home. I want to be a blessing in in the church. I don't want to be the barrier. You know, it's incredibly important, uh, even as a church, uh, in the right leader, in the right role, I've told our pastoral team and our staff, at any point when I become a hindrance to this church, I want to be honestly communicated to, and I would step out of the way so that somebody else could continue to lead the church. So important when we talk about God's work and God's church, that we understand God wants us to be a blessing in every environment that we're in. The barrier of greed is what we're going to be looking at this morning in the life of the early church. And I'm defining greed as this, as being intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or popularity. We're going to see in the life of the early church of a couple that falls into this trap of deep greed. And it's going to hurt the church in a significant way hold it back from being the church that God's designed it and called, it to, called her to be. It says in, in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. It says in verse 2, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back. That phrase right there is an interesting Greek verb, and it means to pilfer or to embezzle. It means to hold something back that was already previously committed. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the same phrase that's used in Joshua chapter 7 when Achan holds back treasure uh, for uh, the, the Israelites. There's a lie, a deception that goes on that there was... Uh, finances and resources committed to God's purposes and God's people, and they keep back that blessing. Here in the text, it says that with his wife's knowledge, the two of them are working together. They kept back for themselves some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
the church was organized to give the resources to the leadership to disperse throughout the community. Now, you have to understand at this time, there is no welfare system. There is no health care system. The church is operating in a context to serve and supply a lot of the needs for all the people. And so the financial side was incredibly important in the early days. And what's marked the church thus far is incredible voluntary generosity to care for the needs of all the people in the church. And here comes Anna. Ananias and Sapphira, and we see that there's some kind of fraudulent behavior, some kind of embezzlement that happens. God's going to intervene and use Peter to prophetically speak what is unknown and say it like it is. In verse 3, Peter, he stands out among all the disciples at this point in time. He's the, the first among equals, if you will. He's a leader that kind of stands out in the beginning of the book of Acts. And he was the, a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And he says to Ananias, and Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? That was the problem. He had lied about it. There was some kind of fraudulent commitment that he, that he had initially said, all the land is, the proceeds are for the church. It had gone into some kind of community fund for the church, and now he's lying about it. And Peter says this, you didn't lie just to me, he says, but to the Holy Spirit, that is to God, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of all the land. He goes on to say in verse 4, he says, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Two observations I want to make on that text right there. It's really important to understand this. Is that no one made them sell the land. Giving is voluntary. It's not uh, communism is what we, it's not mandated or restricted. There's not a, the church is not in operation and securing the funds. This was, no one made them sell the land. They sold the land. And then after they sold it, they didn't actually have to give it. They didn't have to give it, but they said they were going to give 100%. And then it goes into the community resources. And then somehow they begin to hold finances back. Peter goes on to say, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last Maybe God had already known the tragedy that this gentleman would take into the life of the church. And when the church is called to live generous and sacrificial and help uh, let it be a reflection of God's love, he sees Ananias as an incredible threat or barrier to the life of the church. And he's supernaturally going to intervene in divine judgment and remove this guy. So he does that. He says, when... Ananias heard these words, he falls down and breathed his last. And look what it says, and great fear came upon all who heard it. I'd be terrified if I was there and that just happened. You'd be terrified if that happened. God had a ferocious commitment to the work and the ministry of the church. And here's this gentleman, he and his wife are embezzling funds and he's going to divinely intervene. I was thinking about this as like, why didn't God use Peter to confront and reconcile and make them get through that. But we see here God divinely intervenes and tells Peter what's going to happen and he says it and then Ananias falls out. So why is that? I think, I think that the Lord loves his church so much that he'll do whatever it takes to protect it so that it will continue to prevail. He wanted to remove this barrier so that the church would continue on. 
It says in, in chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval, about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out. That was a divine pronouncement of judgment right there. It's harsh, hard to hear. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. You know, as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about the character and the nature of God. Who is He? Why would He do that? I want you to back up and think from a big picture. You have to understand the presence and the power of God was so thick at this point in time. The supernatural events are happening all the time. The very presence of God is tangible. You know, I mean, Peter's doing miracles where like just Peter and Paul, like they're, just, they're walking around and seeing incredible. So the presence and the power of God is so tangible. For this person to do this is a direct uh, anti, and the Bible says it was, a, it was a satanic act because this man is filled by Satan to do this deceptive act to steal back and to lie about these funds. I think God has a ferocious commitment to the church and to his kingdom initiatives. In the movie and in the story uh, books of uh, C.S. Lewis, he has the Chronicles of Narnia, and one of the, some of the children ask about Aslan the lion. And they ask this question, is he safe? And the response back is, no, he is not safe, but he is good. When you think about God, you have to realize that the calling that he calls upon you and the calling that he calls upon his church is not a safe calling. It's incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly faith-filled the whole way. And God is, while he's not safe, he is good. Maybe God in his grandioso divine plan was removing a barrier that was quite the antithesis of what the church should be, of generous, sacrificial, loving, and he removes this early on so that the lifeblood of the church would continue to flow with generosity, love, and a heart that reflected more of his. And maybe Peter didn't have the courage to do it himself, and so God in his grace divinely intervenes and removes the leadership because Peter didn't have the courage to do it himself. So let me summarize. No one made them sell the land, and even after they sold it, they didn't have to give it. If they had sold it, they would be alive. If they gave none of the proceeds, they would have been alive. If they'd given a portion and been honest, they would be alive. But they lied about it to look good. They lied about it because they were afraid of, of whatever situation that they were in. They give their proceeds and then somehow work it back out to take back in a fraudulent manner. God is not safe, but He is good. The result of God removing this barrier is very intriguing to me. It's why we named the series Barriers. Because the church, I believe, this had to happen for the church to continue to move forward. God doesn't do anything by accident. But here, in a very rare account, 
divinely intervenes to protect the church so it continue to flourish. Here's the result of God removing the barrier. Look what it says. Let's read this out loud together. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. More than ever. Meaning, more than ever had been done before. This is the formation of the early church in chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4, closing it up. More than ever, there's more and more people. Oftentimes in your own organization, in your own business, you can see when there's somebody that's involved in a fraudulent behavior or a mistreatment of people and, and, and resources, removing that individual will help flourish and thrive the entire organization. In this context, for whatever reason that maybe that we don't fully understand, God's going to do that, remove the barrier, and the church is going to continue to thrive. So here's, if we are honest, we can all relate. We can all be self-centered, we can all struggle with discontentment, and we've all lied or stolen at one time or another. We've all been that. There's a little bit of greed in me. There's a little bit of greed in you. There's a little bit of Ananias and Sapphira in all of us. And it can be an incredible barrier. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And every single one of us, we are not going to give an account to man one day. We will give an account to the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. On how we do with our resources, if we are living as a blessing or living as a barrier, if we are lie to God, lie to ourselves and lie to each other. The Bible says that we are all sin and we all fall short of God's glory. And the good news is that God gives us a remedy and that remedy is the person and the work of Jesus Christ in living according to His Word and His ways. I want to give you uh, some encouragement and exhortation to break through the barrier of greed with generosity. Um, this is the, the, the message, this closing out the, the application of this, is overcoming greed with generosity is something that I, would, I thought about when I was writing this out and looking at the Scriptures. Of this is what I want my kids to live like. I want them to be a blessing, not a barrier. I want them to be generous, not to be greedy. So here it is. Number one, if we're going to break through the barrier of greed with generosity, we need to declare our trust is in God, not in money. The Apostle Paul wrote to the uh, young leader, Timothy, and he said this, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, that means to be arrogant, not to set their hopes or their trust on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. That's where you're supposed to place your trust. Not in possessions, not in promotion, not in income, but place your trust, your hope in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I say declare because I think you do need to declare that. That as you're going through the work week as the month or the year and you say, God, I don't know how we're going to make it, but I'm declaring that my trust is in you, not in my situation. My trust is not in how good my house is, how my, my car is, my boat, my income. My trust is in the Lord. Amen? That, that is so important in understanding our trust is in the Lord. Uh, the things that we have, they are wonderful to enjoy. I think it's important. Look what he says. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with stuff and we can enjoy it, but our trust can't be in our stuff. Our trust needs to be in our Savior. And I say declare that, that your trust is in God, not in money, to help you break through the barrier of greed with generosity. Paul continues on to exhort Timothy, and he says, Be generous with what you do have, 
He says they are to do good and be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. If God's given you a lot, and you have a lot, give a lot. Uh, you may feel like at times, man, I can't, I don't know how. Every single blessing that you have, realize that you're called to account to be a steward of that blessing. Begin to share your life with your kids. Share your life and your resources with your friends and family. God wants you to be a blessing, not a barrier. Take what you do have, your time, your talent, your treasure, and use it to invest into God's people and God's work. It's so, so important. Number three, I want to encourage you to practice the priority of giving. That means give first, save second, and then live on the rest. We say that at North Valley all the time. Practice the priority. If you don't practice that priority, what happens is you always feel like you're never, you're never ready to give and you give reluctantly. Don't come in here and ever give reluctantly or under compulsion or feeling guilty. Give out of generosity that you, 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 you got on a budget if you're not on a budget. You, you took the time to say, God, I'm going to trust you with this and I'm going to honor you. The Bible says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This was a promise to the people of Israel that as they were uh, stewarding their resources in an agrarian society, that they're to trust the Lord and give first to the Lord to supply the needs of God's people and God's work. Number four, I want to encourage you to take a next step in percentage giving. There's three different tithes in the Old Testament, and the word tithe literally means a tenth. And there was a tithe in the Old Testament to tithe for the poor and the orphans and the widows. Again, there's not a a, a welfare program, a healthcare system, and God's people were to provide for all of the needs. This is why I think there was such an emphasis on an exact percentage in the Old Testament on giving was to supply and meet the needs of the people. There was a tithe that would be given uh, to the poor, the orphans, and the widows. There was a tithe for the Levites. These are ministry leaders that uh, would facilitate uh, an opportunity for people to worship. There was a tithe for feasts and festivals to remember all that God has done. And at any given time in a ministry uh, year, there was these tithes going on, but there was every few years or so, there could be up to 30% of income that was asked to be given to the Lord. And today, in light of God giving us His Son, I ask this question, why would we give God any less than at least 10%? Principles for New Testament giving is willing, sacrificial, generous. It's out of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. I encourage you to look at it. And so we call our people at North Valley. I teach my kids, hey, you need to give a tenth of your income, a tenth of your resources when they get an allowance or when they go out and they work and they, uh, for different stuff. Is We encourage them to give to the Lord first. And actually, I tell them, you don't have to give 10%, but I'm going to encourage you to. Because here's why. In the Old Testament, they're giving up to 30% waiting on the Messiah. And here in the New Testament, we see words like sacrificial, uh, generous, like, you know, uh, giving beyond their means. And, and so I want to encourage you to do whatever you sense the Lord's calling you to do. We challenge him to give first. I want to tell you, there's kind of two people in the room today. Um, one is, I'm going to call him Pragmatic Pete. And you're hearing this message and you're saying to me, uh, Ryan, I've, I am at A financially, and I've got plans to get to B. And that B means I pay off my house, I pay off my car, 
Um, I have enough money for a vacation. I can give in a little, I, I can give here and there if I can, but really here's the truth of the matter. I live on 100% of my income. And in fact, most Americans don't live on 100% of their income. They live like on 115% of their income. And pragmatic Pete, if you're this guy, or you could say pragmatic Patricia, you can say, I've already done the numbers. I've already done the numbers and there's no way I could give. I can't give 10%. That's crazy. I just can't do that. And then there's another guy in the room. Who's, I'm going to call him Committed Charles. And Committed Charles says, yeah, I, I understand the Bible's uh, emphasis on being generous because it, it helps do, does God's work or in locally and globally. And I believe that God's uh, word is true. And I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to live on um, no more than 90%. I'm going to live on no more than 90% of my income and trust God to get me through. And then maybe Pete and Charles are friends. And Pete says to Charles, Charles, you, you know that you can't make your budget from A to B. You're crazy. You're crazy. If you think God's going to provide for you and live on 90% when you know you need 100%. And Charles says back to Pete, Pete, I know you've been coming to this church and I know you trust God in your relationship with your wife. I know you trust God with your, with, for your kids. You trust God in your work. And the area of finances is the one area you don't seem to trust Him with. Hey, Pete, you're crazy. And so the question is, is here's crazy Pete. Here's crazy Charles. Both think they're crazy. Charles has said, I'm going to learn how to live on 90% and trust God for the rest. And the question comes, I ask you, is which kind of crazy are you going to be? Are you going to be like crazy Pete who loves God, loves the church, but just says, I've got to live on 100%. That's the one area of my life I'm not willing to trust God in. And so you're going to live on 100%. And then, or you're going to be like crazy Charles. You're going to make that priority and say, God will provide for me. God always meets our needs. See, if you do that, here's what happens is you don't only go from A to B. You move into this awesome area of life is where you see God do extraordinary things in your life. You know, That is so, so important. I want to encourage you to rely on God for an extraordinary supply. Here's what 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says. God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. There is this calling upon our life that we're to live by faith, not in fear. There's this calling upon our life that we're to be stewards of everything we have, all that we have. And God wants to develop in us the heart of a giver, not a taker. God wants us to be a blessing, not a barrier. He wants to place you in a position where you're giving, you're serving, you're the influence in every environment. You walk into your family situation. It's not all about you. It's about giving back to other people. It's about not being the center of attention, but using your influence to help others in that process. I want to encourage you to rely on God for extraordinary supply. I've heard this time and time again. We've had business leaders in this church and say, you know what, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we feel called by the Lord to give 
X amount of dollars over X amount of time and we're going to do it. And then I've heard reports back and say our business has continued to thrive and, and be a blessing. One gentleman in our church, in the early life of the church, gave, I mean, he made up his, his giving was uh, exponentially high. He was a stockbroker. And he said to me this, he said, Ryan, I believe that God continues to bless us because He trusts us to use the money for good, not to raise our standard of giving, not simply our standard of living. I've seen uh, um, men and women who didn't have a lot give to the Lord and trust in the Lord, and God, in His miraculous way, just continues to provide year after year. Just last week, I was sitting on the porch with my wife, and I just said, you know, Leslie, as we started that journey in trusting God with giving, and you challenged me, and Kevin Palau challenged me, has God not provided every single year above and beyond everything that we thought? And He has. Here's a closing verse I want to encourage you with. Is this, rely on God for an extraordinary supply. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and he was challenging them to give, and he says this, my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul believed that God owns everything. The Apostle Paul understood that as people move forward in faith, that God will never abandon them. That God loves His people and wants His people to prevail, breaking through barriers in life and obstacles to, so that they can be a blessing. In the very beginning of Israel's election to be a people among all other nations of the world, he calls Israel to be that light. And he says in Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis chapter 12, he says, and you will be my people and you will be a blessing so that you're a blessing to all the other nations. God has, I would even argue, has saved you so that you might be a great service to other people. He has called you and blessed you so that you can be a blessing. The last thing in our life that we want is to be a barrier to God's work and God's ways in every arena of our life. Here's the takeaway I want to encourage you. Is ask the Holy Spirit what next step you need to take in the area of giving. For some of you, uh, 90, living on 90% is a cakewalk. Some of you, that's going to stretch you like crazy to live on 90% of your income. I just want you to do this. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to ask you. I'm just asking you to talk to the Lord and say, God, hey, what these three questions. What do I stop? What am I spending like crazy on? What am I giving my money and my resources to? What do I need to stop? And then what do I keep? What's really important to us? And do this as a couple. Don't, don't, don't do this in isolation if, if, you're, if you're married. Do it together. And then ask this question, what do, what do I start? What do I start? Let me pray for us and I'm going to invite our team up. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you call us to be a blessing and not a barrier, a giver and not a taker. Uh, that is more the heartbeat of you and it flourishes your work and your ways throughout all the earth. We pray uh, for North Valley just to continue to be a blessing. And God, not only for North Valley, but for all the churches, raise in us, in us uh, a great heart and commitment to be generous and to share with people in need of its resources, time, energy, things that we've been given, trusting you, God, that you want to work in and through us for our good and other people's good and ultimately for your glory. To the name and praise of Jesus, everybody said. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.